0: It has been a few weeks uh, since we have uh, continued our study into 1 Peter. Uh, So we're going to spend a little bit of time just reviewing uh, this morning before we introduce the next section of the letter. 1 Peter is written to churches in northern Turkey that are experiencing difficulties because of their faith in Christ. Christians should conflict with their culture. The world is against Christ, and followers of Christ shouldn't expect acceptance from a culture that rejects Christ and his standard of righteousness. Peter wrote the churches to give instruction and encouragement because of that. This letter is very applicable to us because we don't fit in with our culture either. We have differing values, priorities, and motivations. The world doesn't get us, and we often don't get them. Feeling apart and standing out can be hard to handle. We desire acceptance. We want community. Because we live in a culture that we conflict with, we have to know our salvation. That's how the letter of 1 Peter begins, encouraging them, know your salvation. And we have to know this, that our salvation, while secure, has not been uh, fully realized and, and as far as receiving the full benefits of salvation. As, as a saved person, you get saved and you are saved from the penalty of sin. Thank goodness, right? One day, one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. That'll be nice, right? Uh, so we have to know our salvation. We have to know all about it. Uh, so in the present, we are finding that our salvation holds that's good to know as well isn't it that it is dependable we are being refined by our current trials Uh, we are not a completed painting just yet the uh, the uh, the artist hasn't signed his name on us yet all right but that day is coming in the meantime we are being worked on we are being refined The next part is when we are dealing with persecution, when we are dealing with trials and difficulties, uh, it is easy to throw our hands up in the air and just kind of give up. And so the next section, God wants us to reflect His holiness, especially during difficult times caused by the culture in which we live. And the best way to demonstrate holiness is by loving one another. Holiness isn't sitting in a secluded place avoiding people that trigger our sinful nature. Holiness is actively caring for each other. Holiness is an adventure. We don't often think of holiness as an adventure, do we? Holiness is an adventure. With all the pressure believers face and the criticism directed towards followers of Christ, believers can start to believe what the unsaved world says about them. Here's an important truth. I am not what the world says I am. I'm not even what I feel I am. I am who God says I am. Believer, God says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's who you are. God desires for those he has saved to witness to our culture that we conflict with, to be a witness. Witness to the lost by living out our salvation in difficult circumstances. That's what he wants us to do, is to, is to testify, to witness, with our excellent behavior uh, to, the, to the unsaved world. And he uh, used three things that um, can be difficult to do as far as our honorable behavior goes. Three areas that are are spelled out. Believers witness to the lost by subjugating themselves to governing authorities, by being great citizens. That's not always easy to do. Uh, We can become frustrated with with our governing authorities. And it's simple things, like we have two blocks away this beautiful waterfront, and I had plans When it got nice, I was gonna go get lunch somewhere and go to the waterfront and sit on a park bench and eat my lunch and it was gonna be wonderful. And then I got there and there's a sign that says, "Uh, Chris Berg, you can't do the thing you wanna do. And I hate that sign, I hate that sign. But we subjugate ourselves to our governing authorities. First Peter also instructs slaves to be subject to their unfair possibly wicked masters. The application to us is have a great attitude and willingness to humble ourselves to unfair bosses. Doing so demonstrates our faith in God and God uses that as a witness to the lost. The last area that that uh, in 1 Peter that says that um that we uh, witness to the to the world, witness to our, our culture, um, is, uh, is when we treat our spouses with selflessness and humility. Marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. A Christian marriage is a testimony of Christ loving the church so much that he died for the church. A husband is instructed to love his wife in that same way. This morning, we're going to start A transition to a new section. What should our response be to a culture that is against Christ and therefore against followers of Christ? And the answer is live in community. So this next section that we're going to do, and it it takes us pretty much to the end of of the letter, is what is our response to living in a culture that is against Christ and therefore against us? And the first one is live in community. Living in community requires specific approaches and actions. Homeowner associations define expectations for their community. Depending on the community, the requirements can be loose or very strict. But even in communities that are not a part of a homeowner's organization, there's expectations for being a good neighbor. Basically, keep your yard yard mode, right? That's an expectation. Keep your junk to yourself clean up after your own dog. Not everyone does that. But Peter instructs believers in how to live in community with each other, and then he explains why it is important to follow the instruction. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we consider community and our role in it, we ask that you would help us to understand what your word says so that we can live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to be a cowboy. Some days I still do. And, uh, and I actually got the opportunity one time. Um, in college I was part of a, a traveling ministry team and in the summer uh, we traveled all, all, all over the country and I uh, was in the mountains of Colorado um, at, a, at a ranch uh, and, uh, and the ranch owner asked if I was willing to be a, an intern at the church and then I could work on the ranch. And this is the thing I've always wanted to do. There was one problem. I know absolutely nothing about horses or ranching. Other than that, I think I would've done a really good job. Uh, I mentioned that to him and he said, it's no problem, we can teach you how to do that. And I had to give it serious thought for a moment because I've always wanted to be a cowboy, Uh, but I didn't. Uh, partly because I didn't have any clue what I would be doing, but also I think the rancher's daughter was part of the deal. It was like a package deal, and I thought, I'm, I'm not ready on the spot to uh, uh, commit to the rancher's daughter. Um, I thought, this, this is a trap, and I am 45 minutes away from town. They, they could tie me up, and there's nothing I could do. But I've always wanted to be a cowboy, and, and part of that, uh, I think, is when I was a kid on Sunday mornings, I would wake up early, and go to our black and white TV that we had, um, and I would watch The Lone Ranger. And you might as well watch that on a black and white TV, because it's in black and white anyway. So it worked out pretty well. And I would watch The Lone Ranger. And, uh, and that idea of, of being out um, out in the prairie, or I'd rather, mountains, but being, being out in some meadow and, uh, and being that independent cowboy. That sounded really good. That sounds manly to me. Um, but we have to realize something, though. Even the Lone Ranger wasn't alone, was he? He had Tonto. Yeah. God doesn't intend for believers to be Lone Rangers. Community is a, big, is a big important thing for the life of a believer. It says in 1 Peter 3, eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. These are the five obligations of community. The five obligations of community. The first one is unity of mind. Unity of mind does not mean conformity. Instead, it means cooperation in the midst of diversity. If two people are the same, one of them is unnecessary. When my grandparents moved into an assisted living facility, I asked my grandmother if she had met any of the other older ladies and made friends, and she said no. Now, my grandmother had a good sense of humor, so when I asked her why, she said, these old ladies all look alike, I can't tell them apart. My response to her was, I know, Grandma, I had a hard time figuring out who you were. Um, (laughs) Conformity is not the goal. We don't all want to look alike. That's not what it means by unity of mind. Having the same goal is the goal. Without differing personalities, preferences, and abilities, It's going to be difficult to to achieve the same goal, but we need to strive toward the same objective. And what are those objectives for the church? Well, I think it can be pretty well summed up in the Great Commission, which is, I got ahead of myself, which is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Three parts to that. Three objectives in the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Go into all the world. We, we support financially and hopefully with prayer as well um, people who are going into different parts of the world and, and doing the work that God has set for them. Going is important. We also have baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which I think baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, I think the thrust there is evangelism. Uh, we we kind of do it a little different now, but back in the New Testament time, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, they started looking for water because you got saved, and then immediately you were baptized. Um, I know for, for my dad, he got saved, and it was probably 20-some years later that he got baptized. Uh, But in the New Testament, that was unheard of. You you got saved, you got baptized. So when it says baptizing them, I think the idea is let's evangelize Uh, because they were uh, not saying that you need to be baptized to be saved. I do not believe the Bible teaches that. But in the New Testament, the way it went was you got saved and then you demonstrated that salvation as a testimony by baptism. And the last one was teaching them the word of God teaching them the word of God. Conformity does not achieve those goals. We will not be as effective in doing those three things, those three objectives, if we think we all have to be exactly the same. That's not what unity of mind is. But unity of mind is saying, These are the, this is the purpose. This is the purpose that, uh, that God has for the local church. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to pursue these goals, pursue these objectives. What gets in the way of unity in a local church? What gets in the way? In Romans 12 16, Paul instructs the church in Rome to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So, what gets in the way? Pride. Pride gets in the way. Pride of not enjoying the company of ordinary people is one of the things that Paul points out. Pride of thinking that you know it all. That gets in the way. The next objective is sympathy. Having compassion for one another in joy and sorrow. Paul continues, or Paul also wrote in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep something good happens for someone we rejoice as though that good thing happened for us when something bad happens to one of us we feel sad as though it happened to us empathy is a selfless act in a world that is against us in a in a culture that we are contrary to we need a caring community in a church to shelter us to encourage us and strengthen us because the world is against Christ and his followers. An effective safe haven for fellow believers is made up of compassionate people that share in the joy and sorrows of others. The next in the list is brotherly love. Now, having grown up with three older brothers, I have had my share of brotherly love, and sometimes love hurts. There is, however, Camaraderie. There is endless joking around. There is respect. Help is offered. Dignity is managed. What do I mean by dignity is managed? Uh, when Mary and I were, were uh, planning our wedding, we were a couple of Bible college students, which means we weren't just poor, we was Poe uh, and, uh, and so paying for a wedding, um, you know uh, how can we do this as cheap as we can without it looking too incredibly cheap uh, and uh, And the idea of paying a photographer was like. Whew, we have those disposable cameras. We'll just give a disposable camera to a few people and, and apparently that wasn't good enough. But a gentleman in my wife's church, he was a professional wedding photographer. And he was one of those guys that were so good that he would travel many, many states. It wasn't just local people. People way far away desired this guy to do their, to do their uh, wedding pictures. So he would travel all over the country doing wedding pictures. And, uh, and he, when he found out that we were engaged and, and knowing how that we weren't just poor, we were what? Poe. Uh, he said, would you do me a favor? I bought a new camera and I would like to try it out before, uh, before going. He just, wow. He let us keep our dignity, right? He was such a help and at the same time, he made it sound like we were doing him the favor. Right? Isn't that fantastic? That's how brotherly love works in a church. That's how brotherly love works in a church. We, um, we don't make people grovel. We don't, we don't make them beg. We, we see a need and we say, how can I help this person um, with, with, with a way that, that doesn't belittle them? Uh, because I have heard of, of youth groups doing um, trying to get uh, canned goods for, for, um, uh, for poor families. And so some of the kids in the church would be, would be out, and they'd be collecting for the needy. And at the end, the, the, the youth leader would say, give a box to one of the kids in front of everybody and say, here you go. Um, and that's just demoralizing to do things like that. I, I'm sure he it wasn't it was thought, how can I demoralize them? But there was no thought of, what is this going to do to this teen when we, you know, they collect? And we just, in front of everybody, go, here you go. Uh, so brotherly love takes, into all of that, takes all of that into account. Um, but we need brotherly love in our community, and we need to extend brotherly love in our community here at Mandeville Bible Church. We need a tender heart. A tender heart has genuine affection for fellow believers. There must be more than tolerance, although tolerating one another is a good first step but we need to be kind. While officiating church arguments, I have noticed that all interpersonal conflicts have one thing in common, a severe lack of kindness. As a pastor, I've made decisions that seemed unkind. Sometimes you make hard decisions that are not going to be appreciated. You will also find yourself in those positions as well. Communicate tough decisions with kindness. Don't take joy and the disappointment of others. All of that has to do with having a tender heart. The last one in this list, in uh, in the first verse that we read, is a humble mind. A humble mind. Uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Pride comes before the fall. Humble-minded is the effort of maintaining humility. It's an effort. It, it takes energy to have a humble mind. How many of you remember Elizabeth Elliot? Anybody here ever read any of her of her stuff? Uh, Elizabeth Elliot uh, was the wife of Jim Elliot, uh, and he was one of the five missionaries that uh, that were killed um, in Central America, I believe, uh, and. Um, it's an amazing story. If you ever want to uh, find a film about that, there's a film that was made called The Edge of the Spear, uh, and it will give you a background of that. Uh, but So after Elizabeth Elliot's husband was, was murdered in a tribe, uh, she went to the tribe that murdered her husband, and she shared the gospel with them. She later became an author and woman speaker uh, at women's conferences. Uh, The women's conferences that she headlined would have thousands of ladies in attendance. Uh, She was on radio worldwide, Um, very well-known speaker and author and and teacher. An acquaintance of mine told me that she had gone to a conference where Elizabeth Elliott was the headline speaker, and during a break, my acquaintance used the restroom. While coming out of the stall, she saw an older lady picking up a paper towel that had fallen out uh, of the uh, full garbage can you know sometimes when it's full you set it and then a breeze will come and, and knock it down and, and so a paper towel had fallen onto the floor um, not only did the lady pick up the paper towel but she also shoved down all the paper towels in the garbage can to create more space in the garbage can for the next round of discarded paper towels she washed her hands and walked out not realizing that anyone had seen what she had done in her simple service The older lady that had done that was Elizabeth Elliot. She didn't take the attitude of someone else can do this. She didn't think to herself, I'm Elizabeth Elliot, famous author and teacher. I shouldn't have to bend down and pick up a paper towel. She probably didn't give it much thought at all, really. Because packing down paper towels was simply the action that needed to be taken. So she did it. That is humility of mind. So that's the first verse that we give about obligations of community, and now we're going to see the the motivation for for doing this. Uh, But a little bit of a summary statement first. Peter goes on to write, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. It is difficult to not, repay evil for evil. That's difficult because after all, as the song says, anything you can do, I can do better. I don't want to get even, I play to win. All right? That's, that's my mindset. I don't wanna, I don't, who wants a tie? I don't want a tie. Uh, as my daughter has, has played soccer growing up, you, you learn in soccer that um, a tie can be a good result. And that always rubbed me the wrong way. I don't want to tie. I want to win. I mean, as the Bible says, my favorite verse, vengeance is mine. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Here's the issue, though. Community involves people. People sin. I am people. That is why I am not on Facebook. It is bad for me in my spiritual walk to be on Facebook. Because I have... I have the ability of sarcasm, and, uh, and it's best if I'm not on it. But here is some encouragement and motivation for not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. We were called by God to bless others. This is our purpose in life, to be a blessing to others. When people ask, what's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to bless others. God extends his blessing to us when we bless others that have done evil to us and have spoken out against us. Next time, an ignoramus spouts off foolishness against Christians, don't throw your shoe at the TV. I've done that. Don't shake your fist. Instead, pray for them. I learned this from my mom. I've mentioned a few weeks ago she could be very, very corny. But, but quite often correct. And I came home from school one day, he's probably sixth grader, fifth or sixth grader, and I was upset because there was a jerk at school on the playground, and he was always being a jerk. And I was going off on him about what a jerk he was. And I got done, and my mom said, have you prayed for him? I prayed about him, does that count? <laughs> one of those vengeful psalms. Did you pray for him? God blesses you when you do that. That is not easy to do unless you remember this other important truth. God's blessings are greater than the world's cursings. When you remember that, it's not so difficult to be a blessing to those who have done evil against you, to those who have spoken out against you. When you remember, God's blessings are by far greater than their cursings. And it has always been that way. Peter makes his point by quoting from Psalm uh, 34, verses 12 through 16. Uh, David, when he wrote this psalm, is a young man. He is escaping King Saul, who wants to kill him. I've had people upset with me. I don't think I've ever had anybody actively seeking my death. David has that. And he escapes to a town called Gath. Gath was the hometown of... Of a giant named Goliath do you think David would be very popular in Gath by the way the only weapon David could get his hands on as he was escaping there was the sword of Goliath that he had used to chop off Goliath's head so now he is going to Gath the, the where he had killed in battle the hero of the town and in his possession is the sword of the hero does that sound smart to you As I was reading this, I thought, "Eh, I don't know about this, David. You you might have want to thought this out a little bit better. But he understood something. Uh, But the people of Gath, they certainly were not happy to see David in their town because David had killed their hometown hero. So what did David do? He pretended to be insane while in Gath. Pretended to be insane. And that kept the authorities off his back because they didn't, like to deal with crazy people. It was thought that, that, um, that it might be contagious. And so you just leave, you leave folks like that alone. In response to this time of David's life, David wrote Psalm 34, which is a psalm of praise to God for his salvation and a psalm of instruction on how to live a long life. It's in response to that. Uh, as often as people tried to take David's life, he had a lot of experience on knowing how not or on knowing how to stay alive. He was he was pretty good at it at this point, because Saul was always trying to trying to kill him. So David, he had some instruction to give. You, you, you want a long, happy life? Let me give you this instruction. It seems almost odd, knowing the background that he was going through at the time, that this is this is the psalm he wrote. Uh, but but Peter quotes from David's psalm, Psalm 34, but here's what, uh, uh, so do you want to to love life and see good days? That seems like a rhetorical question, right? I love answering rhetorical questions. It does me good to answer rhetorical questions. You answer this rhetorical question. Do you want to love life and see good days? Yes, right, yes. So here's what Peter wrote. For whoever desires to love life and see good days Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So if you want to live love life and see good days, do not involve yourself in troubles which will make this life a burden. And there are three things listed that will make loving life and a long life uh, difficult. First one is, says, keep your tongue from evil. Watch what you say. Watch what you say. Don't provoke people. I had a friend in middle school who uncharacteristically provoked a fellow student into a fight. I don't know, I guess he was feeling his oats that day. He lost the fight, and then he had to go to the dentist. That's how well it went for him. He was mad at me for not stepping in. Why would I step in? I was fine with the other guy. It was my friend who provoked the fight. Lying to people or about people brings you closer to death. The second one was turn away from evil. Your location matters. Don't be where bad stuff happens. When my oldest was in middle school, we would go to the local high school football games, uh, and by the time he got to be in middle school, he wanted to sit where the middle school, middle school, middle school, middle school, the middle school students sat, which was not near me, and that was on purpose. Uh, I instructed him to recognize when things were getting, as I said, stupid, and then get out of there, and then come sit with me, right? You wanna go sit with the other middle school students? Okay, watch out for stupid, all right? And when you see stupid approaching, leave, come sit with me. Uh, Because once stupid shows up, it is easy to get wrapped up in it, and then you're the one who gets in trouble. Basically, what I was telling him was anticipate stupidity. Two times in those years, my son found me in my usual spot, and I would see him come, and I would ask, Stupid on its way? And he'd say, yep, and sit down. Both occasions, I kept an eye on the middle school student section. Five minutes after my son had left to sit with me, I would see police officers jogging up into the stands, pursuing stupid. Anticipate evil. We need to anticipate evil. Know where evil hangs out and stay away from there. Right? Location matters. Turn away from evil. When you see evil, when you see bad things coming, approaching, and, and usually there's you can tell it's coming. Get out of there. Leave. Turn away from it. Don't, don't be a bystander and step back and, and watch what happens. Get out of there. And then lastly, it says, seek peace. Seek peace. Pursue peace. The picture I put up there, that's snow, by the way. Um, In in international cross-country skiing, there's different events that they have, and one of them is, and they have a different distance, but one of them is uh, a pursue, a pursue event is what it's called. So that's why I put the picture up there, because they are in pursuit. Go the extra mile in pursuit of peace. Pray blessings on those who speak poorly of you. Jesus prayed for the soldiers who crucified him. He said to the Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That is seeking peace. In 1 Corinthians 4.12, Paul was writing about what was going on when he was in Corinthians. He says, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. Seek peace. When revile, bless instead. Why? Why do we do that? We get the answer in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There are actions that bring us life, and there are actions that bring us closer to death. Choices have consequences. Some people choose a lifestyle, while others choose a death style. But David and Peter recognize a truth that goes beyond natural consequences. There are supernatural consequences. God has his say. So in this verse, the eyes of the Lord, the ears of the Lord, the face of the Lord, are you ready to learn a big word if you don't know this already, this is called an anthropomorphism. Huh? Impressed? If you wanna know how to spell it, see me afterwards. Anthropomorphism. It's the idea of referring to God by human characteristics. All right, God is spirit, Uh, he's not made up, I mean, God the Son is fully God, fully man, and that's the miracle of Christmas, is Jesus is the God-man, but the Father is spirit. He doesn't have a face, all right? Um, but it's spoken of this way uh, to help us understand um, something, a truth about God. And what does it say about God's eyes? It says, God's eyes, they will watch over you with care and concern. Like a loving father watching over his children, God's eyes watch over his own. God's ears, he listens for his children. He knows their voice. When you have a room full of, of toddlers and one of them cries out in pain, all the moms stop and they listen. And they go, not mine. Right? Um, I think the greatest sound in the world is, uh, is a baby crying when it's not yours. Oh, what a, what a, wonderful, what a wonderful sound that is. Uh, but God hears and he, he listens, he listens. He anticipates fellowship in prayer. Uh, how many of you, when getting a call from your children, block the caller? Would you ever do that? God's ears are tuned into you. They're tuned in. But God's face You don't want to be in God's face. It says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The one who is, so you don't want to be in God's face, the one who is harming you while you are seeking peace and acting righteously will have to deal with God. That's entrusting yourself to God, that God will deal with them. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, written by C.S. Lewis, uh, he writes a statement about Aslan, who is who is the lion in that story, and is symbolic of Christ in the Narnia series. <coughs> and one of the things written about him says, "He's wild, you know. He is not a tamed lion, but he is good. God is not tamed. He is wild in his ability and powers, but." He is good. He is good. But you don't want to provoke the lion. Provoking a lion in the Serengeti is safer than provoking God. Those that do evil have God's face directed at them. God is good, but he is not tame. That is God's promised blessing to us when we seek peace in our community rather than revenge. So how do we fit into our community? What is our role? Well, one, we have a community right here called Mandeville Bible Church. The world beats you up. We need to build each other up. The world lies. We need to teach Jesus Christ the truth. The world destroys. We need to testify about the one who gives life abundantly. In our community outside of the church, our role is to be the people who receive God's blessing by blessing those who revile us and act wickedly against us. When you are wronged, you have to start viewing it like this. Oh good, here is an opportunity for me to receive God's blessing by being a blessing to this one who's harming me. They are giving me an opportunity to receive God's blessing. It doesn't sound great, like a great deal, that my role in the community is to be beat up on that doesn't sound great. But again, it's only a problem if we don't reckon God's blessing in our life to be much greater than the cursing given by the world. When we remember that, it gets a whole lot easier. So let's ask God's help in remembering the truth about his great blessings and his faithfulness toward us all for all eternity, for those that have trusted him, as, trusted Christ as their Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, help us to remember in difficult times when we are facing trials, when when people are speaking against us but but provoking us, uh, that we will remember that your blessings are by far greater. And for this purpose we have been called to be a blessing. Father, it's nothing that you haven't done yourself when Christ came and was a blessing to us when he died for our sins. Uh, and, that, uh, uh, and that we have the opportunity to act in kind, to be a blessing to, to those who, who revile, uh, because you love them enough for your son to die for them. Father, help us to remember the opportunities we have to receive your blessing, uh, and that we will gladly bless others, uh, and, uh, and we'll live the purpose of our life out uh, in this community. Thank you for the community of this local church, that we can build each other up, encourage one another, uh, teach each other, um, and that we can find community, not being Lone Ranger Christians, but being together, uh, serving your purposes. Uh, We do need your help, and we, we desire your fellowship. Father, help us to recognize how much you desire our fellowship as well. In Jesus' name, amen.